My name's John Redman from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about how Jesus Christ satisfies us, how He meets the deepest needs of our hearts and of our souls, how He meets our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, and all the different needs that we have. And so I pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. Tonight, we begin a new series of sermons on the person of Jesus Christ. And if I were giving this series a name, I would call it Understanding Who Jesus Is. And it's very interesting in the Gospel of John that Jesus helps answer that question, understanding who He is, by giving us what is known as the seven I am statements. The seven I am statements. In other words, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world and so on. And in telling us those metaphors like that, he's telling us who he is. Now, in order for us to fully understand these I am statements, we need a little bit of background. So if you'll open your Bibles tonight to the book of Exodus in chapter number three, I want us to see what is the significance and really the origin and the beginning of this phrase, I am. So in Exodus chapter 3, this is a familiar passage of Scripture to most of us. We know that Moses was out there in the wilderness, and he was tending those uh, sheep out there. And one day he saw a bush that had caught on fire. And so he went over to that bush, and he's looking at that bush, and God knew that he had Moses' attention. And so out of that bush, God spoke to Moses, and God said, Moses, I'm God. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage, appear before Pharaoh, and tell them that you're there on my behalf, and you're there to get my people out beneath his control. And so God and Moses are having this conversation. It's a very unusual conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, Moses said to God, he said, God, if the people should ask me, who is this who has sent me to appear before Pharaoh? And, you know, who am, who am I representing? What am I to tell them that your name is? And so in Exodus chapter 3, look beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so God said to Moses, Moses, you need to understand something about me. My name, or one of my names at least, is the name I am. Now that's an unusual name. I mean, if you think about that, that's a pronoun and a verb. I don't, I don't, we don't know anybody else who has a name made up of a pronoun and a verb. And yet God said, this is my name. I am. And so you tell the people, you tell Pharaoh that I am has sent, uh, you, that I'm the one who has sent you to appear before them. Now, if you'll turn to the New Testament, the Gospel of John chapter 8, we see where Jesus picks up on this name of God, this Old Testament name of God, and he begins to reveal to the Jewish people 
that he is in himself God in the flesh. So in John chapter 8 and beginning in verse 56, now Jesus is talking to Jewish people, many of whom do not believe that he is the Son of God, much less God in the flesh. And so notice what Jesus said, John chapter 8 and verse 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And so the Jews said to Jesus, what do you mean Abraham rejoiced to see your day? When has Abraham seen you, and when have you seen Abraham? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. You're still in your 30s. How do you claim to have been seen by Abraham or that you saw Abraham yourself? And so in verse 58, this may be the clearest reference in all the New Testament of Jesus declaring himself to be God in the flesh. Notice what he said. Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, and then what are the next two words in your Bible? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus was saying, before Abraham was even born, I was already in existence. And he was saying that to help the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is himself God. That he himself, while he was born in Bethlehem, he did not begin in Bethlehem. He has no beginning. He is the ancient of days. He is God himself, and he now has come to the earth. And so he says, I saw Abraham, or before Abraham ever was, I was around, so I, I've seen him. Once he got to heaven, I saw him. I, I was around a long time before Abraham was born. And then Jesus takes up this name, this name of God, that God had used to Moses out there in that desert. And he said to the Jewish people, before Abraham was, I am. And so he takes that name. Jesus said to the Jews the same thing that God had said to Moses. My name is I am. And so Jesus was saying, I am God. I am God in the flesh. I am God in front of you. And this is why Jesus in John chapter 14 could say to Philip, he said, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You ever wonder what God the Father looks like? I'll tell you what he looks like. He looks like Jesus. Because Jesus is the manifestation of God the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God the Father in the flesh. In fact, you remember the passage in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah where it says, unto you this day is born in the city. It talks about all those names for God and then it, it talks about God being, Jesus being born. And it said, you shall call his name Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor everlasting father. Jesus is even called in the Old Testament the everlasting father and then the prince of peace. And so here Jesus is saying, I am God and I am God in the flesh. Now what's interesting to me, in the gospel of John, Jesus uses seven metaphors to help us understand who he is and what this I am means. In other words, these metaphors flesh out what is involved in these I am statements. And let me just give them to you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. 
And then Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine. And so what we're going to do for the next seven Sunday nights is take one of these I am statements, one of these metaphors, and study it and break it down and think about it and hopefully better understand who Jesus Christ is. And tonight, we begin with the first statement, the first metaphor, and in John chapter 6, we read that Jesus has declared himself to be the bread of life. And so let's just turn back a page or two to John chapter 6, and you're familiar with this chapter. This is one of the most amazing chapters in the book of, in the gospel of John, because here we read where Jesus had fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, actually, plus their wives and then their children, probably between 15 and 20,000 people. He fed them with five pieces of bread and two fish. And I preached a sermon on that several weeks ago about how Jesus performed that miracle. But at the end of the miracle, in verse number 35, Jesus gives us the significance of it. It was not just to, to, you know, to perform a miracle or do something amazing or even to feed those people. It was, it, was, it was that, but it was more than that. And here's what Jesus said in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Say that with me. I am the bread of life. Say it by yourself. I'm the bread of life. And then Jesus said, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so he identifies himself with the bread of life. He's saying that bread that I took and I multiplied and I fed all those people and they were satisfied, that bread was nothing more than a picture of me. It was an example of me. Just like that bread filled up all the people who ate it. Everybody who feeds on me, everybody who believes in me, everybody who receives me, everybody who stays with me and trusts in me will be satisfied in their spirit and in their soul. So just like physical bread satisfies physical hunger, Jesus is saying spiritual bread satisfies spiritual hunger, and he's saying, I am that bread, and I can do for you spiritually what bread can do for you Physically. Now, as I was thinking about bread, I, I, I jotted down two observations here that I think you would agree with. First of all, bread, it always fills you up. It satisfies you. If you've been at a restaurant, I'm sure you have. I know I've had this occasion many times. And you sit down, and they bring out your water, and then they bring you some bread, and they bring you some butter while you're waiting on the meal to get there. Or maybe even while you're waiting to order. You just kind of eat that. And how many times have all of us been in a setting like that and we eat a piece of bread and it was good? And so we eat another piece of bread and it was really good. And, we keep, and then we'll say to ourselves, or maybe somebody at the table will say, well, don't fill up on bread. Because if you get too full on the bread, you're not going to be hungry for the salad and the main dish and for the dessert. Now, why do we say that to each other? Because we know that bread has a way of filling us up. And you don't want to get full on bread with all the other stuff to come. So on the one hand, bread fills us up. But on the other hand, it almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but I think you'll agree that what I'm saying is actually true. On the other hand, bread, at least good bread, creates a hunger for more bread. In other words, on the one hand, bread fills me and satisfies me, but on the other hand, bread makes me eat, want to eat more. I guess it's just the nature of carbs. The more carbs you eat, the more carbs you want to eat. And if you've ever been to the Olive Garden, and I have to confess this sin, I used to eat at the Olive Garden all the time. It's one of my favorite restaurants. And it was my, my uh, uh, modus operandi when I went to the Olive Garden. I, no matter what I ate, I'd eat the salad, then I'd order my main entree. 
But I would never leave the Olive Garden without eating at least six breadsticks. Six of them. And I mean, I, and sometimes I would eat more than that. And I got up over about 200 pounds doing that. In fact, I was home last night and I pulled out some old albums and I was just looking at pictures of myself back in 2003 and 2004. And I'm not saying I was fat, but I think I could say I was getting chubby. I mean, I was. And I blame it on that bread. And so... Nothing, if you've worked for Olive Garden, I don't mean it personally against you. It's good bread, but that was, it was so good I couldn't stop eating it. And so I made a decision, no more bread for me, no more white bread. And I lost over 20 pounds just in about six months, gone. And I attribute it primarily to the bread. But what I'm saying is, on the one hand, bread satisfies us. And on the other hand, bread makes us want to have more bread. Well, Jesus is like that. There is a sense in which when a person receives Jesus Christ and trusts Him as Lord and Savior, that Jesus satisfies us. I mean, He gives us peace, He gives us joy, He gives us rest, He gives us meaning and purpose and happiness, and He satisfies us. But there's also a sense in which Jesus creates within us a desire for more of Himself. And we say, I'm, I'm on the one hand satisfied, and yet on the other hand, I want to know him better. I think this is what was happening to the Apostle Paul late in his life in a Roman prison, writing the book to Philippians in the third chapter, in the 10th verse, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You read that, you think, Paul, by now, don't you know Jesus? You've been saved for over 30 years. What do you mean that you may know him? And Paul would say to us, oh, yes, I know him. I know him as Savior. I know him as Lord, but I want to know him better. I have received the bread of life, and on the one hand, he has satisfied me, and I'm in this prison, and I'm writing Philippians, and I'm saying that you should rejoice no matter what you're going through and how I've learned to be content. But there's another part of me that says, even though I already have Jesus, even though I'm already satisfied with Jesus, even though I already know Jesus, I want to know him more. And so Jesus does for us spiritually what bread does for us physically. He satisfies us, but he creates a hunger that we might could know him more. Now, what I want to do in this message tonight is to list out three ways that Jesus satisfies the deepest needs of our soul. How Jesus meets those deep spiritual needs that would otherwise always be unmet. How does Jesus satisfy us? First of all, jot this down. Jesus satisfies our need for significance, our need to be known. Now, let me give you a chance to write that down and just let that sink in. Jesus satisfies our need for significance, our need to be known. We all have that need. In fact, there's a famous book that was written years ago by a wonderful Christian counselor called The Search for Significance, and everybody is on that search. Well, that search will never truly end until you know Jesus Christ and until you allow him to meet that need. He satisfies our need for significance. You know, everybody wants to be significant. Everybody wants to matter. And the fact is, most people want to be known. Now, they don't necessarily want to be known nationally or internationally or they don't want necessarily to be a celebrity but I mean people want to be they want to be known they want to be known by their family certainly if you're married you want to be known and understood by your spouse you want a group of friends who 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 know you and who know you well so everybody has this need to be known and yet the fact is 
That need that we have for significance and that need that we have to be known will never be fully satisfied until we let Jesus be the one to satisfy that and to meet that need. And so I think there are a lot of people, honestly, who go through their whole life trying to climb some ladder and trying to make a name for themselves and trying to prove to themselves first and then to others that they matter and that they're significant and, and that they, you know, that they're known in some settings. And I think this can happen to any of us. We run the risk of saying, God, if I can get to the top of the ladder, God, if I can be not only a surgeon, but the chief of surgeons, God, if I can be not only a nurse, but the chief of nurses, if I can be not only a teacher, but a principal, God, if I can be not only a shift worker or, or an operator, but the overseer of all the operators, God, if I could just get a little bit higher and go a little bit up, and God says, you're trying to find significance in all the wrong places. You're not significant because of a title or a position. You're significant, God says, because you and I are in relationship with each other. And that's the first thing, that first way Jesus satisfies us. And he he even gets us to a place in our lives where we say, you know what? It's all changed. It's flipped. And now I have a desire to be unknown. I have a desire to run from anything that would ever put me in a on the wrong side of God. Number two, Jesus satisfies our need for companionship, our need to be loved. Now, we all, that's a basic need. That's a very basic need, the need to be loved. Everybody needs somebody to love them, and everybody needs somebody to love. That's just, that's just how God made us. But Jesus satisfies our need for companionship and our need to be loved. Now, turn back, if you would, to the Gospel of John in chapter number eight. I want to show you a verse I'd never noticed until over the weekend. I've been reading through John's gospel, and in John chapter 8 and verse 16, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about judgment and so on. But if you look right in the middle of verse 16, on the, in my Bible, it's on the second line of verse 16. Notice what Jesus said, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. I read that verse the other day where Jesus said, I am not alone but I'm with the Father who sent me. And I thought to myself, even Jesus didn't want to be alone. Even Jesus didn't want to be by himself. And you only have to go back to the very first book in the Bible in Genesis where God said to Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good. It's not healthy. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody's supposed to get married. At that time, Adam had nobody, no brother, sister, neighbor, friend, But God said, this is not good. And here we even see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus says, for I am not alone. That's the reason we need friends, and that's the reason we need a church family, so that we can be connected to each other. We can be with people who know us and who love us. But mainly, it's the reason we need the Lord, because He is the one who keeps us from being alone. And so, I'm saying to you tonight... You have a need that I have and that every other human being who's ever lived has, and that is a need for companionship, and that is a need to be loved, and that is a need to be known, and that is a need for for somebody to be with you so you don't feel like you're out there on an island and all by yourself. And what I'm saying to you tonight is even Jesus had that need, and yet Jesus met, he, he got that need met, not in his case, not with another human being, but he got that need met in his own relationship with his heavenly father. He said, I'm not alone, but I am with the father who sent me. And I have such a place in my heart for people who have been married for 40 and 50 and 60 years. 
and their spouse passed away, and for the first time in all their life, they're alone, and they're by themselves. And I was talking to a lady the other day, visiting her and her husband in the, visiting her husband in the hospital, and she was there. And godly lady, she said, you know, John, she said, I'm trying to go home at night, and you know, so I can get some rest and come back the next day and help my husband as best I can. And she said, but I've got to be honest with you. She said, when the sun goes down and it gets dark, she said, it's just a little bit hard for me. She said, because I'm not used to being in a house by myself. She said, We've been, they've been married probably over 60 years. She said, I'm just never alone. And she said, right now I am alone. We just talked about that. I have a very soft place in my heart for that. But friend, I want to, even if you live alone tonight, I want to give you some good news. If you're saved, you're not alone in that house. Jesus is right there with you. He's with you when the sun goes down, and he'll be with you tomorrow morning when the sun comes up. And you have to, I read a verse in the Psalms last night where David said, I set, I, I set the Lord always before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And so God is with you, and you're not alone. But I'm telling you, that need can only truly be met in Jesus Christ. How, how does he satisfy us? Well, think about what I just said. First of all, he satisfies our need for significance. I'm significant in life because I'm a child of God and Jesus Christ living in my heart. That's, my, that's where my significance is. And that's not ever going to change. Not only that, he satisfies me by meeting my need for companionship. I'm not alone. I live alone too. I know what that feels like sometimes. But I have to remind myself, I'm not alone. Jesus is here. And I'll just talk to him. And then the third thing, and I wish you'd write this down. Jesus satisfies our need for peace. He satisfies our need for peace by giving us a calm, clear, and focused mind. Let me give you a scripture verse to write down. In Isaiah chapter 26 in verse 3, it says that God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. God, God will keep your heart. In Philippians 4, it says if we'll trust Christ and depend on Him and cast our cares on Him, that He will surround our hearts and our minds. The peace of God, like a, a, an army, will garrison around about our mind and our hearts. And so Jesus satisfies our need to have peace. We have, all of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Until we receive Jesus Christ. God's great thinker, Augustine, hundreds of years ago, said in prayer to God, he said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And tonight, unless you've been saved, I'll guarantee you, you're restless in your spirit. You don't have any peace in your heart. Why? Because God made you with a, with a God-shaped void and hole in your heart. That cannot be filled with people, relationships, money, positions, jobs, cars, houses. It can only be filled in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus satisfies our need for peace. And when we know we're right with him and we know that he's with us and as we're trusting in him, what does he do? He even calms our hearts down. Sometimes our hearts become very troubled. Do you know the most underlined verses in all the New Testament? Amazon tells us this from people who read their Bibles, on, you know, like on a Kindle and you can underline Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where it says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank Him for His answers. And then it says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the most, those are the two most underlined verses in all the Bible, which tells us that people are struggling with stress and anxiety and no peace. And they go to that verse, and sometimes we all feel that way. But in Jesus, all that can be solved, and we can find peace. And our mind can become calm and clear and focused. 
Well, we're going to have to stop right there for today, but let me ask you a simple question. How satisfied are you in life? Are you satisfied? Are you a contented person, a satisfied person? Or do you feel like there's got to be something more out there that you've not experienced and you're kind of on a search for satisfaction? Well, let me say this to you. If you have never received Jesus Christ, I'll guarantee you what you're looking for is Him. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And today, if you'll open your heart and ask Him to come in and forgive you and save you, He will do that, and He will begin to give you a peace like you've never known in all your life. Just pray right now. Say, Lord, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, He has heard you, He has answered you, and I I just want to congratulate you on making that decision. I would encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. We have some helpful resources on there. And then contact us and let us know where you're listening from. May God bless you this week. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. You can find us on the web at peacebybelieving.org. If you live in the Houston area, you still have time to worship with us in person today at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. We are located at 7500 Fairmont Parkway in Pasadena. You can also stream our services live at fbp.org at those same times. Thank you for listening today and have a blessed week.